Wrestling Analysis. You're listening to Wrestle Rant Radio. I'm Tommy Sharp alongside Graham GSM Matthews here to bring you the front to end WWE coverage that you deserve. Listen online at nexterawrestling.net. Graham, a pleasure as always. We are two days away from hell in a cell. And we will both personally be there to witness the carnage that happens inside of Satan's structure itself. And as we had head into Sunday, we are surrounded by heated conversation that is going on right now regarding the triple threat, uh, the triple main event booking that we have in store. Graham, in your mind, what defines a main event? And which match on this card deserves it? I got to say, of the three Hell in the Cell matches, we've been saying it for weeks. We said it before WWE officially announced it. Got to go with the women. They're in the hometown of Sasha Banks. They are in the backyard of Boston, of Banks' hometown. They got to go with the women. Uh, They've deserved it. It's a feud that's been going on, on and off for the last three years. The match is not only historic. I know they've been focusing more on that aspect of the match in recent weeks, but the feud itself feels more worthy of closing out Hell in a Cell than either Owens and Rollins or Rusev and Roman Reigns do. Interesting. And what, in your mind, what what is the main event in general? If you could just like, in, in a generic term, what makes a main event for you? For me, it's the most anticipated match in the card. The match... I don't want to go too traditional here, but the match that's selling the house. I mean, I think that used to be the case in the 80s that if you had Hulk Hogan's name in the marquee, it was, oh, Hulk Hogan's going to be there. Let's go to the show. Now it's like, oh, WWE's in town. You know, let's go to the show. Um, granted, we're already going to be there. We already got our tickets for the show. We're, you know, headed. To, we're bound for Boston on Sunday for Hell in the Cell. But I would say that if there was any match that was enticing me to go, if I was in the fence of whether I should be going to Hell in the Cell on Sunday at the TD Garden, it would be this match right here. Because we will undoubtedly... Regardless of whether it main events or not, to me it should, like I said, but we will be witnessing history as Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair, sorry, now they added the last name on there, I gotta correct myself there, they will be stepping inside state and structure for the first time ever. That itself is is historic, and the match itself should be just nothing short of stellar in my opinion. Now, for me, I feel like the main event should go on last that it has to be the culminating of all of your efforts that night and to give it the pedestal it deserves because this is not some local rock show. This is not something where people are showing up to see one particular act and then they plan on leaving. These people are here in their seats, standing on their feet, wanting to see every last bit of what the WWE is going to put on for them that night. And that is why, for me, main event means you are the last match of the night and you are the real, like you said, the true uh, uh, representation of the best feud and the best kind of heated confrontation of, of athletic competitors that the entire card or roster has to offer. That's what makes a main event. When you add a stipulation in that it is the most uh, demonic structure that the WWE has ever created, um, then it certainly speaks volumes to the fact that there are three of these types of matches. So when you eliminate that as as part of the equation, I, I have to agree with you that on paper and uh, on screen, the the best rivalry going right now is between Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair. Um, whether Seth Rollins' motivations, those are always, that's perennial. He always feels the way he does. Kevin Owens always feels the way he does. Roman Reigns is a new U.S. champion. 
going up against a former U.S. champion. Those things resolve themselves. The, nothing about any of those two other matches as main event caliber as all the performers are scream to me that they should be closing the show. Where's the hype that suggests that their match, even though it's for the universal title and, and, and could possibly change hands, has as much immediate weight and you have to weigh in the immediate weight you know uh, i'm i'm a uh, i'm a firm believer that by stating that you're making history you're you're almost uh uh setting something up for failure why why not just make it a main event and make that speak enough for itself in history books that this is when this happened you know uh that pat patterson didn't used to be an intercontinental champion at one time and then became the first you, you make history about these things, but I guarantee you he wasn't talking about making history, becoming the first intercontinental champion. He carried it and moved forward with it, and history proved itself that that was a turning point. And that is the history's role, to educate us and inform us, let the past be education towards the future and watch examples, not look for opportunity to capitalize on people's emotions and go out there and create some sort of fabricated history surrounding something. I, I don't see the value in that. So for me, if you remove history from this, if you remove the hell in the cell from this, you are still left with Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair being your main event no matter what, if they're involved in the conversation. They are the women's champion, Sasha Banks going against the former women's champion, Charlotte Flair. That is far more significant and more interesting news than Kevin Owens digging his heels in with potential help from Chris Jericho or whoever, you know, and Seth Rollins being this architect mastermind. They've both been champions. They've done that for, for a stretch. They've had their, their spot in the spotlight. Same thing with Roman Reigns and Rusev to call that match anything more than just a heated feud. That's not a main event in my mind. Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair, regardless of history talk regardless of hell in a cell talk regardless of any of this it is still the main event and that's that's what i i i am expecting to see as as, a, as the main event for hell in a cell i think it it, it it i don't want to take away from the other matches though i think all of them have a lot of weight and have been built up you know uh very well between kevin owens and seth rollins and roman reigns and rusev so uh, we'll jump into some of those other matches, but what do you what do you think we could expect to see based on the high flying, uh, death defying uh, types of spots that Charlotte Flair is known for, and the absolute abuse that Sasha Banks is able to endure and always somehow come out on top? What what do you think we could potentially see, especially after the very direct words of General Manager Mick Foley this week? confirming that they were both ready to step inside the structure. I think they need to find a happy medium in this match. I don't think they need to go balls to the wall, jumping off the top of the cage, which they wouldn't anyway. But I'm just saying, I mean, like you said, both women have been known to put their bodies through absolute hell in their, all the recent encounters, SummerSlam, Raw, uh, Clash of Champions. You know, Sasha Banks especially has really put her body at risk in potentially shortening her career. So I would say with this type of match, they don't need to start bleeding. I mean... Would it be an added effect? Sure, but I mean, they don't need to be gushing blood, especially in today's world. It doesn't, does it add to a match? Yes, but is it necessary? Not necessarily, not really. Um, with a match like this, if they go out there and have a great match, they make some use of the cell, throw each other inside, you know, against the steel structure, against the steel walls, make it seem barbaric. They just don't need to go too far, because I feel like both women, specifically Sasha, in the past, has kind of felt that pressure 
of headlining Raw, um, proving to the back that she is worthy of her push and she's not injury prone. But in doing so, she gets injured. So it's kind of ironic in that way. Um, but I really hope on Sunday, I'm not saying they need to have a super safe match or anything, but I do think that come Sunday in their match, they don't need to go on top to sell. I mean, it would be cool that afterwards Sasha Banks cl- climbed the cell and you know celebrated their championship win on top of the structure holding the title. That would be a cool sight in her hometown of Boston. Um, but for the match itself, just having a great wrestling match, making good use of the cage surrounding them because they are inside the cell itself. And I just hope that we don't get a, the same effect that we did at TLC where... At, at, at a TLC pay-per-view where you have a ladder match and a, and, a, and a chairs match and a tables match and all this other kind of, you know, demolition derby as they call it. And then by the main event, you're kind of numb to the action. You're kind of numb to the hardcoreness, the, the extremeness that these two guys are going through. I know I was. I was at TLC last year and Roman Reigns and Sheamus had an all right match. And the only reason I wasn't more invested in it was for the fact that we really all saw the same spots earlier on in the evening. So I hope they don't run into that with Owens and Rollins kind of outshining them on the undercard. If the women do indeed main event, and I think they will and should. Um, But we'll see. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they can come up with. Yes, absolutely. I I think uh, it is um, all the speculation can't really make up for the in the moment what, what these two have shown us in the past versus what they could pull out in the moment, right? That's what makes it, again, a main event for me. I've seen a lot of what Roman Reigns and Rusev have to offer. I've seen a lot of what uh, uh, Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens have to offer to each other in their own competitive ways. I don't think we've seen enough of Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair, even though we've seen them around and they have certainly made a huge mark on what's going on right now. We just haven't seen all that they have to offer. And there is there's all of these... Uh, I was just looking for it. I believe it was a, a Sports Illustrated interview um, where Charlotte was mentioning um, doing something off the top of the cage and, and watching that growing up and being inspired by the the kind of commitments uh, an act like that would, would require. And I'm certainly paraphrasing, potentially putting words in someone's mouth here. But from uh, uh, since I can't find the exact quote, the sentiment seems to hold true based on her p- previous and even recent actions. So could we see something death-defying? Could we see something like you know uh, th- that skips a heartbeat? Possibly, and that's what makes this extra exciting. But could that also be said about Seth Rollins? Could we see something from Seth Rollins, given given the push, the redesign, the rebuild, the reclaim mentality of Seth Rollins? Could we see something that redefines Hell in a Cell this year? And could Seth Rollins be the person that does it, even if he's not in the main event? We could. I mean, if you go back to two years ago, the main event of 2014's Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, those guys had one of the more brutal Hell in a Cell matches in recent memory. They fell off the the side of the cage. They incorporated steel steps, tables, chairs inside the cell itself. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Um, And could we see something similar this year with Kevin Owens? I would not doubt it whatsoever. I mean, we've seen it even in recent months, him jumping off the cage, off the top of the stage, and the top of the steel cage. Will he jump off the top of the Hell in a Cell? I hope not. Again, for safety reasons, I think Shane McMahon... Got lucky at WrestleMania when he did not kill himself when he fell off the top of the cell on top of Undertaker at WrestleMania 32 this year. And walked away. And walked away in one piece, uh, you know, shockingly in a miracle moment. But and this isn't one of those uh, uh, 45-year-old man. Well, that or your standard kind of wrestling hamming it up. I mean, this is as real as it gets. There's You're jumping n- off of there, what, 20 feet? There's nothing fake about gravity. 
there's just not. Exactly. And it is a... It, 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 you're jumping off of a small office building is what you're doing. <laughs> so yeah, Shane McMahon is the grav is the man that gravity did not forget at no, WrestleMania 32. No, that is absolutely true. So given Seth Rollins, uh, daredevil mentality and, uh, Kevin Owens, uh, basically, uh, uh, resourcefulness, you know, does this, does Kevin Owens have an advantage being more of a ground brawling grappler versus Seth Rollins, high energy, high flying, daredevil kind of persona. Who do you think has the advantage in this in in this one of three main event Hell in a Cell matches? Who do you who has the advantage? Kevin Owens or Seth Rollins? I think it comes to a real clash of styles there between Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. I think it really comes to a no contest. It's really hard to say which one is better than the other because we've seen both of them go at it before and kind of come, you know, one has the edge over the other and, and so on and so forth. We've seen the momentum shift between the two guys. But I think the real added advantage, the real X factor in this match is the fact that Kevin Owens, presumably, we've seen it before, inside cell, inside the cell, but he will not have Chris Jericho at his side on Sunday. The cell, you know, prevents interference. More often than not, like I said, the very first cell match, we saw Kane interfere, of all things. A couple years ago, we had the authority. We had Bray Wyatt a couple years ago, too. So it wouldn't be the first thing that someone has gotten involved inside Satan's structure. But I think without Chris Jericho... McFoley, Stephanie McMahon, which was what really cost Seth in the first place the Universal Championship back in August at Clash of Champions. On Sunday, one-on-one inside the cell, it's Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. There's no Chris Jericho, no Foley, no extra referees, no Stephanie, one-on-one. And I, I, I can't say which man has the better advantage. It's really hard to go uh, one way or the other in terms of predictions here. But I think in Clash of Styles and what you're talking about, it's really hard to say, but I think the real, really the balls in Seth Rollins' court without Chris Jericho at ringside. I, I, I have to agree. And the only thing that I think that could cost Seth Rollins this victory and the Universal title is if Kevin Owens has the wherewithal to move out of, out of the way at the last second during a high-risk maneuver by Seth Rollins. Much like Mick Foley lost to The Undertaker by taking a very high-risk in doing something that you knew was either going to make or break your match, win or lose, if you miss that spot, you will lose. And that's Kevin Owens' best advantage in this match, I believe, is 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 getting Seth Rollins to take that bait. Getting Seth Rollins to go above and beyond, put all that he has, his body and everything on the line, and if Kevin Owens can reserve enough energy just to withstand until that moment and move out of the way, he will he will retain. And Seth Rollins will be broken by the experience. So I, I, I believe that that is where Kevin Owens um, could really succeed. I could also see Kevin Owens getting baited into the same thing. He has a very impressive swanton, <laughs> and, and, and he can do some incredible things, and he's known for, for, uh, for going for a high spot. So could Kevin Owens see an opportunity in a very beat down and nearly defeated Seth Rollins and go for a very dangerous spot that he might not normally consider but would seal the deal and then end up losing because Seth can take advantage with his high energy? That's where my thoughts are at. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Kevin Owens here. I think with Kevin Owens, I think his motivations, his intentions are very clear. He wants the Universal Championship. He is the Universal Championship, but he wants to hold on to that for as long as possible. He's a prize fighter. He said that before. Seth Rollins, I think the line is a little bit more blurred, even more now than it was a week ago from when we last spoke, was that on Raw this week, Kevin Owens went above and beyond. Rollins won the match, 
But Owens won the war afterwards by beating the living crap out of Seth Rollins, inflicting all, unleashing all of his aggression, frustration on Seth Rollins. So when they go one on one, does Seth Rollins is his is he more focused on winning the championship, reclaiming as he says that championship, or is he now more focused on avenging that injury that he sustained in the hands of Kevin Owens on Monday? And doesn't it seem interesting too that uh, uh, Kevin Owens does uh, does not seem to be playing any games with anyone? Seth Rollins is stealing the list of Jericho. Seth Rollins is, you know, coming up with new catchphrases like Sparkle Crotch and, you know, Cracking Wise. And Chris Jericho is obviously out there, you know, taking up a lot of the spotlight. Kevin Owens doesn't seem to be, not not that he's bothered by any of this, he just doesn't seem to be bothered to participate in any of that type of nonsense. And he's willing to tolerate it. But clearly, he is more focused on retaining his title and, and holding on to that being part of his life than trying to stir the pot, cause trouble, be, be in everybody's face, be aggressive. You know, he's certainly willing to agree to these matches, agree to these stipulations and be a, and be a prize fighter. But he's pretty much just focused on his prize and he's got it. So he's at the top. He's not taking it easy, but he's also not going out of his way to try and stir up trouble for himself, cause more problems. Seth Rollins is. He, he's starting to border on a little bit desperate. So will we see a more desperate Seth Rollins? Will we see him dig down and try to do that and come up short? And what does that say for after Hell in a Cell come Monday? It'll be very interesting. Now, did we pick a winner or did we give our predictions for uh, Sasha Banks and Charlotte? We did not, no. Okay, so let's jump back into that real quick before we move on to Roman Reigns and Rusev. Who do you predict in what I'm going to say, first of all, do you predict that this match will be a main event? Yes. Sasha Banks. The, the main event. The main event, yes. Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair, we are predicting, will be our main event. Yes. Now, who do you think takes the belt home at the end of the day? I think Sasha Banks, I know these two have traded victories for months on end, but I think Sasha Banks, at the end of the day, walks out still the Raw Women's Champion. Now, as, as far as Boston hometown fandom goes, I certainly share your sentiment, and I feel like that is is the kind of Boston mentality that, you know, really goes over so big in our city. So, you know, I feel like there's going to be a lot of collective energy rooting for Sasha Banks. And I think that beyond that, she doesn't even need it. She's the boss and she's got this locked down. She's laser focused on Charlotte and all of her flaws and knows her. Uh, Sasha knows her own flaws now because Charlotte has helped expose them. So as long as she keeps those cracks from from leaking i think she is going to be like as solid as can be and i and i i fully expect sasha banks to take that win i expect kevin owens to to retain over seth rollins i got kevin owens too i forgot to mention this but like you said i think owens is focused as you said really keyword focus seth rollins is he more focused on triple h that unfinished business from two months ago and i think he is so i got owens retaining here as well That's, and now moving on to our third event it's being highlighted as a main event. Um, the big dog, Roman Reigns, will be taking on Rusev in a uh, U- U.S. title match, um, a rematch uh, that Rusev has invoked, uh, and Roman Reigns is more than willing to accommodate. Um, I think that this match is going to be... Is this, this is the match that I'm, I feel is most fitting of being contained inside of a cell because I think that this is too just brutal barbarians going at it inside a confined area and I don't expect to see high flying I don't expect to see um, uh, anything uh, daredevil-ish 
of any kind. I expect to see a lot of groundwork. I expect to see a lot of faces raked on on cages and uh, potentially some of the red stuff. Um, I can see this getting uh, quite physical, quite out of hand, quite quickly. What are your thoughts going in to Roman Reigns versus Rusev? And what's a little bit of the background leading up to this? Well, I think like you said, I think that's another prediction to make too. We could put not money on it, but I think that's another good prediction to make. Which match do you think will produce blood? Uh, if, if if any. And I think if any match is going, we're going to see a crimson mask, as Jim Ross would say, or Gordon, Gordon Soli, I believe. It would be this match between Roman Reigns and Rusev. But yeah, I mean, to provide some background, I mean, these two have had one heck of a feud over the past number of months, even dating back before SummerSlam. And this is late October, and it's been two, three months now. Uh, Their matches, every single encounter they've had has all been very, very physical. Roman Reigns has more often than not gotten the better of Rusev, took the championship from him at Clash of Champions, thus making Rusev that much more motivated, that much more focused. So come Sunday, could we see a different Rusev inside the cell? He has never before stepped inside the cell. Roman Reigns has. He beat Bray Wyatt, of all people, inside Satan's structure last year. So he has that experience factor as well. That being said, um, I think this feud, does it deserve to be blown off inside the cell? I think of every other feud on Raw right now, maybe. I mean, I think it's a match. I'm a little bit more excited for the other two matches over this one, but I think it's going to be a great opening match on Sunday. I think Boston could really go for this match in the opening slot. Okay, you bring up a fantastic point, uh, something that I have been thinking for uh, a couple of years even, that Roman Reigns should always be your opening act. He should be your opening guy. He should be the most reliable guy, especially on the Raw brand. If Dean Ambrose is your workhorse of reliability on SmackDown, then Roman Reigns is your workhorse of reliability on Raw. He could kick off every single show, come out, not even say more than 10 words, and jump right into a fight. And I feel like that is Roman Reigns' strength, not only as a persona in in the WWE, but as an athlete and as a competitor, nothing lays it out on the line for fans more than I kick off your show and I put in the work. I show I'm here first. I'm here ready. I'm here fighting and I'm here as a champion. And I, I will continue coming in early first and as a champion, no matter what belt I have, no matter what I'm doing, and I will prove to you that the opening slot can be just as much of a main event as your closing spot, and the bookends speak for itself. You put me anywhere at that point, and the main event follows me, and this is where Roman Reigns can cut his teeth, and if they continue to put him in the opening segments like they have done on, 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 on very frequent occasion, mm-hmm. then you start building this legend of a person that, that is your, your perennial Rock, your your foundation to what is to come sets the tone, energy, physicality, heat, feuds, all of it boiling into one thing. If this kicks off the show, I'll be psyched. Other than, and we can jump into this right now, I'd, right after we get our, our predictions here, who, who wins? Do we see a retain from Roman Reigns or do we see Rusev get the belt back and see this kind of back and forth continue? I think the cell should be just that. I think the Hell in the Cell should really be the culmination of this ruthless rivalry of sorts, and I think Roman Reigns takes the win, moves on to other opponents, and Rusev could very well move on to the Universal picture, as we you know pitched a couple weeks ago. That would be uh, where my thoughts lie as well. I believe uh, Rusev is not doing this to necessarily regain the U.S. title. I think he is doing this to hurt Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns is, uh, I want to say, just a little bit better than that. 
and I don't think that he's going to let that really affect him much at all. So I expect Roman Reigns to retain, and my hope and dream is that they kick off the show proper. But if you are a fan of the WWE Network kickoff and pre-shows like I am, I watch all of it (laughs) for every show. So I end up (laughs) watching, uh, much like Daniel Bryan said, about four to five hours of a a Raw show at a time. But uh, in our kickoff match, it has been announced that Cedric Alexander, Lince Dorado, and Sin Cara are going to be taking on the team of Tony Nese, Drew Gulak, and Arya Davari. What do you, these are, it's so hard to pick a team in any of the cruiserweight combinations that they have come up with so far that either stays the same at any one point in time. Constantly changing. Or gives me the ability to look at one team over another and say that I can clearly see who could win this competition. They're all very evenly they matched. They are so competitively yeah. evenly matched that it, it will <clears throat> really come down to who if there's any injury, if there is any focus from one team on a specific person that they try to line up to be in the ring at the right time so that they can get the right combination and get the win. It feels like the layers upon layers upon layers of preparation, athleticism, and uh, thoughtfulness for the business and for what's happened, the business of being in the ring. It feels like all of that is on display right now in the cruiserweight division at a very high uh, intensity, high intellectual level. What do you? Th- all right. First of all, which team do you think is going to come out on top here? Why? And what makes one grouping of people more significant than the next? Nothing. I mean, like you said, I think you summed it up very well, pretty much perfectly, in that they're both very evenly matched. I mean, Drew Gulak and Tony Nese, they were a part of a six-man tag team match, I think with Kendrick a few weeks ago, and they won. Um, But then you have Cedric Alexander. You have Lince Dorado. And I believe Lince Dorado and Sin Cara won a tag team match a few weeks ago. We've seen so many of these matches in the Cruiserweight, and they've all been very good, but it's hard to keep track of them. Um, I think just, it's really flip a coin and you got the winner. I think Cedric Alexander team wins. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing him in person, too. I think he's going to really steal the show on Sunday. And I think the kickoff show, you said it with Roman Reigns, I think... The kickoff, the first match on the show, whatever it is, is so perfect for this cruiserweight division. And I don't know why they don't do more of it. That's what WCW did right, by putting the cruiserweights in the first hour. WWE with Raw, pay-per-views, whatever, should be putting these guys in the first hour, kickoff show, whatever, because it really sets the tone for the rest of the night. So I'm very glad they're doing this. Not not to say anything about where any of these uh, uh, members of the cruiserweight division deserve to be on uh, this match card, but... I, I, as a performer, uh, as a person that has gone to a lot of shows, I am just as big of a fan of how things start as how they finish. Absolutely. It says a lot about what you do. It says a lot about your thoughtfulness through it for the entire process of everything. And that is why I believe that uh, a triple, uh, a three-on-three tag team uh, uh, kickoff for the pre-show feels as exciting and makes Hell in a Cell have its own exciting flair no matter what's to come. And we obviously know that the main attraction for Hell in a Cell is the structure itself. Mm-hmm. So how do you build something around that big monumental structure and still have a lot more to offer from the rest of your talent roster? And this is how you do it. 
you have the cruiserweight division be part of Raw. As much as I would love to see the cruiserweight division on SmackDown, to see Mauro Ronaldo and Daniel Bryan sit at the commentary table and call those matches, and as much as I feel like those characters and those athletes would fit the mold of SmackDown better, they are doing incredible work with Raw and have been put to extremely valuable use, and uh, and that speaks uh, volumes for current WWE Cruiserweight Champion TJ Perkins, who will be hopefully putting a seal on his relationship with Brian Kendrick, a desperate man with a plan. What? Where? Where do you think Brian Kendrick's coming from right now, and is he a danger to TJ Perkins? Uh, uh, because he is so emotional. He absolutely is, and I feel like we've seen different layers, different sides of Brian Kendrick throughout the Cruiserweight Classic on Raw. When we first saw him, he was a guy who wanted to get back to the WWE. He got fired unceremoniously seven years ago, wanted to get back to Monday Night Raw. Now he's here. Now his intentions have changed. Now he wants to become Cruiserweight Champion by any means necessary, whether that means cheating, backstabbing his partners that we saw in six-man tag team action a few weeks ago. It doesn't matter what it is. TJ Perkins alluded to it in between all of his video game cringeworthy references on Raw this week. He said that we used to be friends, but you're a changed man. And Kendrick was like, uh, he was trying to convince him to lay down for him on Sunday because he really, if he doesn't win the championship, I don't know if he's done. I don't know if he's fired. They didn't really make it clear, but he kind of alluded to that, that I'm done. If I lose again after losing at the Cruiserweight Classic, at Clash of Champions, Third time's the charm. If I lose, I'm done. So I feel like he has to win the championship, and I think he will win the championship. I don't know whether it's being the better man, but I think it's going to lean more towards him trying to con TJ Perkins into convincing that he needs this win to lay down for him only for Kendrick to turn on him, backstab him, win the championship, and become new champion. You said it exactly. You took the words right out of my head. Is this a man with a plan? That's the real question. Because if this really is a man with a plan, then all of this is smoke and mirrors. All of his emotional side of uh, appealing to the former friend in TJ Perkins and relating to him, even going so far as to ask him to lay down so that he could get the victory on Sunday because his career needs it and his heart needs it. And all of these very emotional things every single time, no matter how much he's shaking his head, TJ Perkins is taking the bait. He's, he's looking Brian Kendrick right in the eye and saying, I want you to be better. I want you to be the competitor that I know you can be. And when he rec- does TJ Perkins recognize that when Brian Kendrick's not giving his all, lets his guard down for that brief moment, and Kendrick sees it, knows that he's got him, the plan worked. That's it. Boom, he is now your cruiserweight champion. I want to say that it is highly probable that Brian Kendrick has masterminded all of this if we can certainly come up with it, it <laughs> had to have been a thought in his mind, and maybe it was a thought of it in his mind since the very beginning, since the end of the Cruiserweight Classic when TJ Perkins was crowned WWE Cruiserweight Champion. Has this been Brian Kendrick's plan all along since day one? That reveal could be coming on Monday if we see Brian Kendrick win the Cruiserweight Championship on Sunday at Hell in a Cell. Um, this is a, a this this feels like a bold pick for me, even though I can justify it. But I'm gonna side with Brian Kendrick as our new WWE Cruiserweight Champion come Sunday at Hell in a Cell. What what, what do you think? I gotta agree. Like I said, I feel like I mean I wasn't even thinking about that. I think Kendrick could have been 
plotting this plan ever since the end of the Cruiserweight Classic a month and a half ago, and I feel like he'd be a great leader for this Cruiserweight division, not in terms of morals and stuff like that, he's not a very good guy, but in terms of kind of bringing this elite talent to the next level. Kendrick is the most established guy in this entire division. I mean, people like Tony Nese, Drew Gulak, all those other guys, Cedric Alexander, have been doing this for years, but the WWE fans have known Kendrick a lot longer than any of these other guys. Perkins has been doing a great job, but I still think that in being a newcomer to the WWE, he's still a bit naive. And I feel like that'll be proven on Sunday when Kendrick takes the title. And it doesn't mean that TJ Perkins can't come right back on the heels of Brian Kendrick, invoke his rematch clause, and completely take his championship back, further breaking the man with a plan and sending him back to the drawing board. Um, But for now, I'm going to side with Brian Kendrick having the upper hand on a very green, naive, and full of good intent that are shining example that TJ Perkins is and uh, I, I, I think that it's going to be a landmark match for both TJ Perkins and the return resurgence of Brian Kendrick so excited that not only do we get three on three tag team cruiserweight action but we get one on one championship level cruiserweight action and things just get hotter for the night from there. Every other match that has been added to Hell in a Cell has just as much weight and sincerity as anything else on the card, and that's what makes this pay-per-view, especially in Boston, on the day before Halloween, all the more haunting. We have Raw Tag Team Champions. This will be the last tag team, this will be the last championship match uh, that WWE really has. Every title's basically on the lines. Clash of Champions 2.0. <laughs> it, it really is, but the Raw Tag Team Champions, the new day, will be facing a conflicted but not altogether unproductive team of Cesaro and Sheamus they can, they've proved that they can get results when they're when the chips are in line when when they feel like it basically the new day has proven results do you think Cesaro and Sheamus have enough coordination with everything that they've been through right now to truly not only win the tag team championship but to then do something significant and carry it for even a third of the time that the New Day has been able to retain those belts? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they got lucky on Monday when they beat the Tag Team Champions in a non-title match, which is very hard to come by. Like you said, the New Day have been champions for over 400 days, and they are so ever so close to beating that record of demolition. I think the day might be mid-December. I forgot what the exact day was that they passed the record of demolition from like the late 80s or something, but if the uh, Legion, I almost said Legion of Doom, I don't even remember what the name was. League of Nations. It's been so long, I completely forgot what their stable name was. League of Nations, the Usos, Lucha Dragons, Primetime Players, all these other teams could not beat the New Day. What is supposed to make me think that two rivals that hate each other with all their guts are going to take these titles from the New Day? I don't think it's possible. I think New Day walk out of Boston, still the Raw Tag Team Champions. It has to be. New Day always has a plan. And has nothing to do with an extra member being at ringside. If anything, I would say, as a group, they are the most respectful of the in-ring rules and of the referee's time and position and all of this. And do not get physically involved unless provoked. I, I rarely see the New Day, other than Xavier Woods blowing his trumpet, which really shouldn't be all that distracting. You know, basketball players have cheerleaders on the sidelines all the time. This is this is a common distraction in sports. If you can't focus through something like that, then you deserve to lose, in my opinion. The, the Anything that's happening outside the ring that is not affecting you, 
you should not you should be so trained and focused to ignore that that it shouldn't be a problem and the new day as abrasive and in your face as they are they they rarely conflict and and cause that much turmoil in a match i think it would it wouldn't speak well to their character you know as as people and as as what they provide for the WWE universe that is not who they are so given that i do not believe that a trio has any extra advantage over an equally respectable Sheamus and somewhat respectable uh, i'm sorry an equally respectable cesaro and a somewhat respectable sheamus <laughs> sheamus tends to just rub everyone the wrong way even though he means well i'm sure uh and he, he's certainly every bit of an athlete as anyone on the wwe roster sheamus is is a force to be reckoned with when he's focused when he's not distracted and all cesaro and sheamus have done to each other is distracted each other whether they have been on cell phones during uh matches in the past couple of weeks distracted each other in singles competition I just do not see Cesaro and Sheamus having enough wherewithal to bring their to put their differences aside and come up with any kind of strategy for a win here. The New Day will retain that it feels almost like a given. And if for some reason Cesaro and Sheamus were to squeak out a victory somehow, I just don't feel like us as a crowd would even know how to appreciate that. Sure it'd be exciting that the title changed hands, but for me, it would be extremely bittersweet to watch a team that basically hates each other take the belts off of some of a of a group of people that have such a bond. Like that, what 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 a kick to the gut that would be to see su- such such synergy that worked for for over four hundred days and is set all kinds of new records be derailed by by two people that really don't want to be with each other and won't won't really carry the essence and the mentality of a tag team champion forward you know if, if their mentality changes because they get the belts i don't know what that really says about them anyway it's competitors you know all of a sudden you know you're you're in you're in the money so therefore everything's good now well i think you gotta i think you gotta you live that way regardless if you want to be champion kevin owens does he's not very well liked so New Day, uh, I'm going to say, is going to come out on top here. But that's not to say that there isn't other tag teams right on the heels of the New Day, should they come out as as champions or not. Enzo Amore and Big Cass are going to be facing Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson in more tag team action. Raw tends to be tag team heavy these days. But in tag team action, we're going to see Enzo Amore and Big Cass versus Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, who have cut out all the games, cut out all the nonsense, and have gone as far as to cancel sing-along with Enzo and Cass, which backfired horribly. The WWE Universe would not have anything less than their sing-along time with Enzo and Cass. And without even a microphone in either of their hands, Enzo and Cass led the entire WWE Universe to a resounding S-A-W-F-T in the face of Gallows and Anderson. Real quick, who's going to take a win and why? I think the club is due a victory. After all of the backfires, the countless losses to the New Day, to Enzo and Cass, and recent weeks on Raw and singles competition, the club, if they really are as focused on becoming as, becoming tag team champions as they claim they are, they have to win on Sunday. I think Enzo Amore and Big Cass have always proven to be very entertaining on the mic, very proven to, to have been proven to be very entertaining for the audience. But I think when it matters most, when it really comes down to it, they fail to win when the stakes are at their highest. So I think the club comes up short, or rather, I'm sorry, Enzo and Cass come up short, and the club take the victory. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, the uh, Gallows and Anderson 
are uh, f- as focused of, of a competitor and want a win more than anyone. And Enzo and Cass will go out there and do what they always do as a solid team. But I feel like Gallows and Anderson truthfully have that much more experience to be prepared for a match against them. They may not have been quite prepared to take on veterans uh, like the New Day, um, especially with a brain like Kofi Kingston in the New Day, uh, who has seen everything from tag team champions to singles championships and and, and the like. With Gallows and Anderson's uh, complete you, you know experiences around the world, it certainly trumps the collected experiences of Enzo Amore and Big Cass, and that is why I believe Gallows and Anderson will get a, get a victory over uh, over uh, uh, Enzo Amore and Big Cass. So um, that is going to be uh, that could go either way. So we will have to see. We will check in on that uh, next Friday, and to close out our discussion of Hell in a Cell. Uh, which will be taking place uh, this Sunday. I, one of my favorite culminations uh, of a feud right now, something that has been brewing for weeks and weeks, um, is certainly as much of a highlight and maybe uh, one of the only... It is. It's the only non-title singles match on the card. It is Bailey versus Dana Brooke, who we saw this past week uh, engage in a, uh, I, I guess, a very uh, uh, telling... Um, arm wrestling match i suppose it was <laughs> it, it, it you want to call that quickly devolved into a brawl i mean it was it was a very uh, uh ostentatious thing for uh dana brooke to do um this seems very much dana brooke's character she's got all the muscles she's got all the uh you know the she's got everything to prove right now and bailey's just not that type of person she doesn't need to go out there and show off and be in everybody's face about her strengths whether they're physical or not so Given that, given Dana Brooks' kind of just overall strength, and I think we would both agree that Dana Brooke is a stronger built athlete than Bailey's smaller frame. Physically, doesn't, yep. Doesn't make Bailey any less strong as a competitor. I just physically, Dana Brooke has more strength. Is is just a different, differently strengthed person. Who takes a victory in this? I like that you said that because I think Bailey is emotionally stronger. I think every loss that she takes, Correct. she takes it on the chin and then she battles back and picks up the win. Strength is not limited to being physical. Exactly, exactly. Physically, though, I think Dana Brooke does take the cake on that one. But I think with this match, it could go either way. There's nothing at stake, not a future championship match. But you got to believe that the winner here, well, that the winner here, will certainly cement themselves as a future contender to that Raw Women's Championship, which should main event the show, which we talked about prior. But anyway, um, I got to go with Bailey. I think I'm being biased here. She's my favorite hugger. Can't wait to see her live. But I think Dana Brooke is, uh, she's still relatively inexperienced. Bailey has that NXT Women's Championship reign under her belt. Even despite being injured, I think she will find a way to win on Sunday. I was going to bring up uh, Bailey's experience over Dana Brooke's, even though they are basically considered to be part of the same class of entries within the WWE. Bailey has been already put in higher stakes matches than Dana Brooke will get to see anytime soon. And Bailey will always be that much further ahead. And I think that that is where experience starts playing a role because there are things that Bailey has now slipped and fallen on that she will sorely not make again and is, is aiming to avoid that Dana Brooke hasn't even yet experienced. So... Bailey will not only use her intelligence, but will use her speed and agility to completely confuse and twist up Dana Brooke to the point where I believe Dana Brooke 
will be completely at the whim of Bailey and Bailey will get the win on this. So, so much exciting things happening when it comes down to Hell in a Cell. And uh, we just wanted to do a full front to end review on everything Hell in a Cell. But uh, right, right now, we are going to be closing up the show. Uh, we're going to be jumping into all things SmackDown and NXT recaps coming up next week. On Friday, we will be getting ready for Survivor Series, which is looming in the background. A lot of really big things going on and building right now on the blue brand. AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose going head-to-head almost every single week. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team Champions Heath Slater and Rhino constantly getting themselves into new feuds with all kinds of people around them. Nikki Bella um, is becoming even more of a focal point for a lot of the new era's aggression. Does she deserve that kind of uh, spot right now? Has she earned better than that? Is she is she now even carving out a new name for herself? Nikki Bella could be in the midst of a reinvention, and it seems to be getting even more honest, more sincere than she's ever been in her past, and I'm starting to really get behind her as a babyface. She's doing everything and putting in the work, and maybe it's John Cena, but I don't want to say that. I want to say that Nikki Bell has put in all her hours and put in all in, on her own, especially if you're watching Total Bellas. There's a lot of everything that she's doing all on her own. So I give the credit to Nikki Bella here. That is going to build into something truly interesting. The Hype Bros, the Ascension, a lot of the teams that I've been dying to see back on screen, they are returning to the screen and they are making a name and a presence for them as long as... Long Island IZ can remain hyped. I think the Hype Bros have longevity. As long as the Ascension continue diving into their dark roots, I believe the Ascension have longevity. I think that both of those teams right now could take the belts away from Heath Slater and Rhino. Bray Wyatt has found a potential new ally in Randy Orton. Are we going to see the Viper truly join up with the Wyatts? Or is this more mind games from Randy Orton to get under the skin to infiltrate Bray Wyatt and all that he is to get him at his most vulnerable so he can strike and take down the Eater of Worlds? And last but not least, and certainly most important in my book, Alexa Bliss came out to ruin the return of Becky Lynch. And I feel that Alexa, unfortunately, as... As underhanded as her tactics are towards the champion, she certainly had a point to prove by being stood up in her first match against Becky Lynch uh, not long ago at No Mercy. So Becky Lynch's return was quickly marred by Alexa Bliss coming out and ruining that party. And there is just that and so much more for us to discuss, but we are out of time. Our focus was on Hell in a Cell, and our focus will continue be to be on Hell in a Cell as we come back to you next week with first-hand accounts of everything that went down. It has been yet another fantastic Friday here on WrestleRant Radio. Please check us out online at nextarawrestling.net. You've been great. We've been WrestleRant Radio. We will see you next Friday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.